Uh, welcome to episode number eight of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. First aid. My name is Eric. I'm the host of the show. Based in southern Ontario, I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3, EPN, and computer geek. Got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help get people uh, prepared and able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm co-host of the show. I live on Vancouver Island on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, target shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. I've had lifelong interest in preparedness, and I'm gladly learning new skills on a regular basis. My professional background has allowed me to see pretty much every province and territory in Canada. It's also taught me to prepare for various unexpected situations daily. My name is Andrew. I can usually be found hosting Canadian Patriot Podcast live on YouTube Monday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern. Uh, in addition to recording the number one podcast in Canada, I run a firearms training and accessories tax shelter. Uh, you can find us at www.ragnarocktactical.ca. Uh, we deliver training for competition shooters, first aid training, and sell everything from boots to barrels, tourniquets to tacos. And in real life, I work uh, a job leading a team in information technology. All right, so we've got some great content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness, the outdoors. Uh, next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic for this episode being first aid and its role in preparedness. So what we've done lately for preps. So we'll start off with Andrew. Uh, yeah, sure. So I had uh, some mandatory fun time off work uh, recently. So we put new networking equipment in the house. Uh, which includes a big giant battery backup, so all of my computer stuff keeps running in the event of a power loss. Wonderful. Uh, yeah, uh, did a couple of thousand two two three cases prepped for reloading because reloading rifle cartridges is tedious. Uh, we cleaned out the. We have a, a large cold room that we keep full of uh, food and water and ammunition and other things, and we rotated through all the food, made sure all the expired stuff got taken out before Christmas, and then uh, the. Uh, the latest project that we worked on uh, over the last couple of days, because I'm still off work, is uh, rotating through all the water. So we verified all the water is good and put in new water, and we have a, a little over a week's worth right now, uh, and we're working up to get into two weeks as our new project. Awesome. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me, I guess holiday season slows down most of my preps, but... Uh... Interestingly enough, my solstice dinner got canceled, which is our big dinner of the year. Still had to run our uh, gift day and holiday uh, kind of celebration with no power because we had a big uh, power storm here on the, uh, or, sorry, power outage here on the West Coast. Got to do a dry run on the grid down scenario to do the power outage, which was great. We can talk about that below. So I managed to cut up a few trees with the help of a neighbor that fell down in the uh, the land behind the house. Topped up my feeders and waters just to, uh, basically uh, without the aid of a lot of normal stuff there. Um, after we bucked up the trees, uh, we also had the extra trees from the arborist that I got knocked down a couple weeks ago, thanks to that, which I think prevented me from getting a tree through the house, which was nice. And then, uh, so it basically boils down to no shortage of firewood this year. Uh, I got to test the e efficacy of my backup water system, and a couple shortcomings came up. Uh, notably, the power cable line for my Jenny is too short. I need to work on that. And uh, using the um, universal power supply for uh, the computer backups. Turns out we were using that to charge the cell phones. It wasn't quite good enough, so we learned that lesson. But the fridges and the, the freezers were fine. Um, one funny thing is my mother did mention I should get a generator one of these days, so she's clearly not watching the podcast. <laughs> clearly not. 
so for myself, um, file, I filled a whole pile of orders for Rapid Survival. The uh, the Christmas rush uh, is pretty good this year, uh, but that cleaned out a whole bunch of room in the uh, the storage room in the basement. So I got some room for some new toys now. I uh, did some research on some new gear. I'll be bringing in some new radios. And uh, of course, a couple of those are going to have to end up in my kit. So I'll, uh, I'll talk about those when we do the, the ham radio uh, episode in a, in a little bit. All right, I guess you cover off some news. Yeah. Yeah, so news time. So for myself, I threw in an article here, uh, basically from the Vancouver uh, City News. Uh, basically, there's 150,000 people here on the West Coast affected by a power outage. I think it topped up around 200,000. It's a bit of an older article. And uh, winds got up to about 100 kilometers an hour, or 60, or 60 miles an hour for the American uh, listeners. Um, so ironically enough, our podcast that we had planned for tonight, uh, we were supposed to do it back on the 21st or 20th, I think it was. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it got delayed to a, due to a power outage which uh, the irony is not lost on me for that one. Uh, <laughs> not I mean, me either. Yeah, so it's not that we couldn't power the computers or anything else. It's the matter of fact that the internet server got uh, knocked out. So I didn't want to use the cell phone data to run the, the podcast, which I thought was a little excessive. So and other than that, uh, so we had about 200 trees come down uh, and into my neighborhood alone. And I still have friends actually on the south side of Nanaimo uh, still without power. So uh, that's been almost two weeks now without power for certain houses. Oh, Wow. So needless to say, I'd say major grid damage on the island. Uh, so a very interesting uh, kind of abnormal weather event for us more than anything else. You usually don't get extreme weather like that. So that was uh, the only news article I came up with this week. Yeah. Uh, so I've got one from uh, December the 13th. Uh, it's from Richmond, BC. Uh, the Richmond School District uh, put $350,000 towards emergency preparedness. Well, that was a pretty good article to come up and uh, see the school board starting to put some money towards things. Uh, by the end of February, supplies are expected to be distribu uh, distributed to the Richmond schools and will ensure that they're prepared for multiple days following an emergency. Uh, supplies will include water, food, rain ponchos, solar blankets, first aid and staging uh, area supplies. So that's from the, uh, the richmondnews.com. And uh, since September 2018, uh, meetings have been held with school district administrators, health and safety committees, parent advisory committees, stakeholders, uh, the city of richmond emergency preparedness team and the rcmp so it's good to see that they kind of uh, talked to a whole bunch of people they didn't just kind of say oh let's throw some stuff in a room and uh, and hope it works looks like they talked to a lot of people and, and kind of got uh, a plan together and some equipment purchase so it's good to see it's well, this, the school district it is kind of a good thing because i mean that uh, richmond itself is very very flat it's right on the edge of the ocean so i mean uh it is kind of also in the path of the tsunami zone of vancouver which is it's still not a huge threat for them but it's still that flat and they're you know in, in event of an earthquake it's just a solid sandbank so a lot of buildings are expected to just sink into the sand so it's nice to see them thinking ahead a bit that's yeah, good and hopefully uh if they start doing planning and they're putting some significant amount of money behind it too like 350 grand that's uh that's a good dollar amount to start with i'd say uh, so they, they start out and maybe the, the word will spread and other districts and areas will start planning as well. And maybe next, uh, next article will be another school area or someone, uh, uh, get some money to put aside for some planning. Interestingly enough, it is also the only conservative writing on the West coast. So you can draw your own conclusions there. <laughs> that is interesting. <laughs> uh, so maybe we'll get into the main topic. So first aid and, uh, maybe we'll let Andrew introduce himself. Okay, uh, so people ask, I was in the military for about five minutes. I didn't do anything cool. I didn't deploy anywhere. I have no medals. I have no cool stories. That's that. Uh, I did take the <laughs> Army's idea of a first aid course, uh, which was uh, an interesting experience. 
And uh, I also keep my Red Cross standard first aid up to date. Um, you have to renew that every two years in Ontario. I don't know if that's a national thing. Uh, so I'm due for recertification now, uh, Q1 of this year, um, because I need to have that for the Ontario Rifle Association in order to continue to run military ranges, which I do on a fairly regular basis as a civilian. Uh, I need to keep a current first aid certification. Probably doesn't hurt for work either. Actually, just out of curiosity, Andrew, uh, the military version of first aid, like, how does that compare to a civilian course? Like, uh, would it be better than standard or anything else like that? Uh, so the the very basic first aid course that they do in like in basic, like in your very first course in the army, is a uh, a relatively comprehensive standard first aid course. It is a little bit more than like Red Cross standard first aid, but a little bit. Um, so when I took that, tourniquets, commercial tourniquets were just starting to become a thing. Uh, they were covered in great detail. Uh, Red Cross has only adopted tourniquet training in 2018. So I had that, I don't know, 10 years earlier. Um, there's some other stuff about uh, battlefield dressings, like the, the use of it, the Israeli bandage or similar style battle dressings. Um, some stuff to deal with penetrating trauma, bullet wounds, or you know, similar penetrating trauma. It doesn't really matter what caused it all. It's treated the same way. So but it, it was more than standard first aid, but it wasn't a lot more. Um, the military does have other courses. So I know guys have gone on rotations and deployments that have done uh, TCC, the tactical combat casualty care, or various equivalents, TECC, and there's something else. So it's the basic one is basic first aid, uh, you know, how to deal with cuts and bruises and some bigger trauma and then TCCC is like a multi-week course on how to deal with care under fire, right? So plugging bullet holes while continuing to put bullets in bad guys. Well, it's pretty cool in, in itself yeah. for sure. <clears throat> Actually, I, I took my, every time I put my daughters through their first first aid course, I took it with them. Of course, they're on, on their own for recertification, but yeah, you're right. I think it was 2018 because my younger daughter just took her first course last year and they, they actually covered tourniquets and the previous one I did with my other daughter did not. So. It's definitely a new thing. Yeah, I specifically brought it up in 2017 because it was something that I wanted with the RA um, was tourniquets on our ranges, right? That like full trauma kits because guns and stuff. So Makes sense. Um, we brought that up with Red Cross, and Red Cross was like, "Yeah, tourniquets are a thing. Let's do CPR." <laughs> Typical. Okay, no. so yeah, they changed the curriculum in 2018. Um, so now, from what I understand, they uh, I, I don't have firsthand experience, but reading the material, it looks like they talk about commercial tourniquets. It still looks like they don't actually use, like, practice the application of commercial tourniquets. Mm -hmm. Baby steps, right? It, 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 it's a step. I'll take it. Um, so outside of that, I've done some more advanced first aid courses. I've taken, uh, taken a tactical combat course like so the course was tactical first responder trauma course um through a, a company in the u.s that we've had up in teaching here in ontario um and i've got a certification from the ontario or i'm sorry from the american college of surgeons that's their bleeding control basic um it's also marketed under, under the name stop the bleed it's, uh, it's about a half day course on keeping the red stuff on the inside of the human body good spot for it to be 
<laughs> Absolutely. So uh, as far as the, uh, I guess, podcast appropriate topic here, um, as far as your, with your background in, in mind and everything else, so what's the minimum qualification you think like, the average prepper should at least aspire to reach as a minimum? Uh, preppers are unique people, right? So more, more is better as much as you can get. Um, standard first aid is a good start. Standard first aid is not particularly helpful for traumatic injury, but bumps and bruises and boo-boos, paper cuts, like, yeah, it's probably good to know how to do CPR and how to administer rescue breaths and how to check and see if somebody is breathing or has a pulse, but that's not really, you're not going to be able to do a lot with that training. Except, you know, make sure somebody is actually alive and maybe keep them that way long enough for a paramedic to get there. Well, that's the problem. Most of the first aid courses, they all seem to recommend, you know, just get them to the hospital as quick as possible. But, of course, with the preparedness aspect, it's like you might not be able to. Even like so I, I know some some forces medics and even their thing is like, yeah, um, stop the bleeding as much as you can and call for a helicopter because you got to get them to the people that know what they're doing. Right. So. Uh, for prepper, I mean, uh, what level of preparedness do you want to get to? I mean, there's take your standard first aid. If you're far away, if you're a hunter, if you're an outdoors person, take wilderness first aid because at least wilderness first aid covers like, okay, so you can't get to a hospital for a day or two. Here's some field expedient stuff that might help. Um, take a stop the bleed course or bleeding control basics because, again, the blood on the inside the body where it belongs, that's extanguination is no fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Like, I mean, like those those courses like standard first aid wilderness first aid and some kind of a an actual how to use a tourniquet not theoretical but like actually how to use a tourniquet probably cover 90 percent of what most people are going to run into in most emergencies like what what is most preppers going to run into motor vehicle collision car accident maybe a hunting accident somebody gets shot a crossbow maybe you run into a problem at the range more than likely you're going to have a relative that gets a heart attack. There's not much you can do for a heart attack. Learn how to use one of the automatic, automated defibrillators. Be in a place that has one. They're almost affordable to have at home. I mean, I don't think they're quite there yet, but... Yeah, they're getting close. I mean, and there's actually an app that you can get. Uh, I'll just pull up on my phone here, but you can actually tell where the nearest defib defibrillator is. Actually, it, uh, it lays that one right out for you. It's oh, uh, handy. it's actually called uh, it's called AED, and so you just click on that one. It uses your phone's location and it points to the nearest AED if you if you need it. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I mean, like that's not a that's not a bad thing. Like if you're out in a public place, government buildings, city halls, libraries, they probably have AEDs. Almost every like skating rink, um, sports rec center kind of place that I've been in lately has one. So learn how to use that i think it's covered in all the standard first aids now um i yeah. might be covered in basic first aid yeah it was covered in standard for sure yeah yeah, so, yeah i would say take that i mean if you want to go all out you know do your emt certification but that's two years in college to do that course if you yeah. got that kind of time and money i mean it, it wouldn't hurt if you want to go to med school and be a doc i mean that'd be great for preparedness but i don't see your average prepper you know doing that there's other more pressing skills oh, yeah absolutely true. so uh if out of the blue somebody phones up ragnarok tactical and uh, asks you to kind of kit them out for first aid kit what kind of a minimum equipment list are we looking at for what would you recommend from our perspective <laughs> oh well besides the, usual, besides the usual ouch pouch and everything else 
Wow, I have a I have a handy dandy uh, website for that. So if you go on our website, uh, RagnarokTactical.ca, and you go down to products and click on first aid, there's a shop by column on the left, and it has all of the different things that I think you should put in a first aid kit. You pick one out of each category, and then you have a relatively complete trauma kit. So there's kind of two different things to worry about. There's your like WSIB mandatory first aid kit in an office of a certain size of people that has a million bandages and a hundred triangular bandages and a hot cold pack and a litter and no tourniquets. So what, like, what are you, what are you trying to outfit? Um, I think for your, your average prepper person, you're, you're probably a gun guy. You're probably somebody who has guns or is around guns or is in a situation where penetrating trauma may be a concern. Um, Get an IFAC, uh, an improved first aid kit or an individual first aid kit. I've heard them go by both names. Um, we, my company, we at Ragnarok, we call them individual first aid kits because they're designed for one person. Um, it depends on how big that can be. I want it to be something that you can carry on you if you're at the range or if you're carrying it for work because you're law enforcement or your military or you're security or your your if you're an agency employee that has one of these for work do what your agency tells you to do if your agency doesn't have guidelines contact me i'll help your agency create some and then i'll sell them products um <laughs> sounds so, like a plan so all you all you cops in toronto and vancouver i i get a hookup in touch um for, well because both i know toronto and vancouver both have started carrying tourniquets they've been issuing them out to their officers yep. which is awesome but there's not really a lot of standards around that so for a base IFAC for one person, something you can keep on your duty belt, something you can keep on your, you know, your range belt, your battle belt, your range bag, something big enough to treat one person, you're probably looking around about 200 bucks, get a tourniquet, at least one, um, either a cat or a soft T wide, or maybe a SAM. Uh, the SAM are new, they're not certified by the Council on Tactical Combat Casualty Care, I think is the right name of the agency, but they're changing the standards this year for 2019 anyway. So that's just going to be a list of criteria, not a list of approved products. So the SAM stuff will meet the criteria. Uh, look at the look at the cat, look at the soft tee, get some kind of a tourniquet. Stopping the bright red spurting is important. The tourniquet is the best way to do that. Extanguination sucks. Uh, get, <laughs> get stuff to deal with airways. Uh, not breathing also sucks. A sucking chest wound is life's way of telling you it's time to slow down. Yep. <laughs> so the, the stuff that you need to worry about for airway, um, if you want to be able to make an airway, a nasal pharyngeal airway, it's a, it's a fairly invasive procedure. I mean, you're not cutting somebody open or throwing like a, a, an OPA in them, but uh, a nasal pharyngeal airway, an MPA, is a, a nose hose. So you stick it uh, in, in the patient's nose and it goes down the throat behind the uh, uvula so they don't gag on it. They're, it doesn't induce gag reflex, so you can do it on a conscious or unconscious patient. There is some training involved. Get appropriate training. Uh, the other thing is an occlusive or non-occlusive dressing. I would prefer you use occlusive dressings, but I don't care. Use something because... Sucking chest wounds are terrible. That's really the only way to deal with them is to stick something on top of it. Um, you should have one for an entry and an exit wound. So sometimes they come as a two-pack, like the Fox Seal. Sometimes they don't. Just make sure you have enough. Uh, the other stuff to, beyond that is 
basically bandages, different kinds of bandages. Uh, you have your battle dressings like the Israeli bandages or the Oleus bandages in various shapes and sizes. Uh, and then you have your hemostatic agents, uh, hemostatic impregnated gauze, things like uh, quick clock or cellox. They used to be the granules. They're not anymore. Now they're gauze. The gauze is impregnated. When you pack a wound with it, it will speed coagulation. Really good for penetrating trauma, less good for anything else. Uh, beyond that, shears, Sharpie, protection like gloves for your hand. If you want to carry a uh, one of those breathing masks, I forget what they're called, the rescue breathing mask things that the CPR people give out. I don't do rescue breasts on people because they're dirty and I don't know where they've been. So if you want to do that, go nuts. If you want to get one of those little mouth shield thingies, then have at her. But the more stuff you start adding to this, the less likely most people I find are to carry it. So it's it's a balance, right? How much are you going to spend on it? How big is it? And are you able or willing to use the stuff that's in it? We actually bring up a really good point there, too, because, uh, I mean, especially with the, if you don't know the person or their background or anything else, I mean, there's, with the fentanyl crisis the way it is, I mean, if you're going to go mouth to mouth on somebody and they regurgitate something that's ludicrously poisonous, you're going to be sucking that in yourself, so. Yeah, and that's, I mean, like, I, this is, the mentality thing, I don't know if this is a good time for it, but we may as well cover it. Figure out your scope of care and scope of practice before you come on your car accident where you're the first responder or before you're the, you know, the guy, what's that young, young square thing downtown where all the shootings keep happening? Uh, I don't young go and downtown. Dundas. Yeah, Young and Dundas. Yeah. I don't go downtown. But before you're the, like the guy in the Eaton Center that's cowering in the, the Burger King food court, decide what you're willing to do when somebody starts shooting at you or once you've come on a, a shooting victim. Like, already, you have to already have that figured out because you're not going to figure it out under stress. So I already know. If it's a family member, I know what I'm doing. If it's somebody I don't know, I already know what I'm comfortable doing. Um, the scope of care and scope of practice stuff, like I carry decompression needles in my kit. I would never use a decompression needle on somebody I didn't know. But if it's my kid or my wife or whatever, then I'm going to do it, even though I'm. it's not technically within my scope of practice. But they're not going to sue me. They're already dying. I probably can't make it that much worse. And I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm doing, like a better than average idea of what I'm doing. But yeah. I'm not advocating people to go out and like buy decompression needles and start jabbing them into people if they think they're having trouble breathing. That's, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's a poor life plan, right? I mean, most, most courses cover the first Good Samaritan Act too. So I mean, that gives you kind of the lowdown of what you're you're liable and not liable to do and liable for in Canada. It's a little I different. Mean, which the. The Good Samaritan Act in Canada is a good thing, but the Good Samaritan Act still, you have to take into consideration scope of care and scope of practice. Uh, what are you allowed to do? So just because it's the Good Samaritan Act is there, don't start giving Buddy T3s because he's got a headache. You're not covered. Right? Like, you can't, like, force people under the Good Samaritan Act. You'll still get in trouble for that. And, so just be aware of what you're allowed to do based on the training that you've taken and the certifications that you can have to prove the training you've taken and then have made the decision on what you're going to do in the event of an emergency. So for me, I draw the line at like I'm not putting my body parts on other people's body parts if I'm not related to them because people are dirty and I don't know where they've been. But if you want to do rescue breaths on some stranger, have at her. I'm not going to stop you. Yeah, well, like you said, it's always good to have that plan uh, in mind first, right? And then you, you kind of know how you're going to react or at least have a plan set to go. When uh, when shit's hitting the fan, you're already doing it and just the way you go. And if you know you're not going to be putting any body parts on a stranger, then you're just not doing it. 
Right, and that's the, so yeah. Figure figure that in advance, in my opinion, because you're not going to figure it out under stress, or you're going to figure it out poorly. Oh, exactly. So, yeah, you're going to want to know what you're doing well ahead of time. The other thing with that is what you're going to have, because I have this debate frequently with people, is they want to like they've got money to burn. I wish I had that kind of job where they were like. I've got a thousand dollars. Give me a trauma. Kit. I want to drive around in an ambulance. And I mean, like, that's cool. <laughs> but unless you know how to drive an ambulance, it's really not going to help you. Well, what if a, uh, what if a, somebody who sh a doctor shows up and you can like give them scalpels and they can do like a, an intubation on the side of the road and like put a trach tube in somebody? I'm like, well, that's super cool. But like. Yeah. Is that doctor going to take that dirty scalpel from you and like, and he's going to say he's a doctor and you're going to like somehow know and vet him and like, are you going to be responsible for all that? Because I'm not. No, this isn't Hollywood. It's real life. Right. So, I mean, like, yeah, if you, if you want to do a trach tube on somebody, I mean, hey, have at her, but I'm not qualified to do that. And if you're not a doctor, you're probably not qualified to do that. And if you are a doctor, you probably already have the right tools. Yeah. So you're not doing it in the middle of the street. Right. That's that's how I look at it. <laughs> yeah. So um, for the the IFX stuff, I mean, I guess the biggest the biggest items are cost, size and your scope of practice. So anything that goes in the IFAC, you should know how it works. You should practice on it. You should have training on it um, in the event that you have to use it. I would hope that you have some sort of certification so you could prove that you knew what you were doing. So I have uh in this collection of notes handily on my desk which needs to go into a new notebook i have all my notes from my most recent uh combat casualty care course i have other notes from other first aid courses and all of these things are handily filed away with dates and stuff written on them so that if i ever have to prove that i took the course i also have all of my notes and i can say well look i learned it i wrote it down i have it i read it regularly and it goes along with my little certificate that i have that says i took the course and i passed it yeah, nice thing. Oh, sorry, Andrew. Uh, nice thing is, yeah, with the last first aid course I took, um, they actually do online certifications or certificates now, so you can basically look them up uh, online right away, and then you know, obviously, get a PDF or whatever you need. So it's pretty easy to prove you took a, a course and when you're expiring and everything else now. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's all that I would worry about with that is making sure that you're trained on whatever that is, because up until recently, Red Cross didn't cover like commercial tourniquets which to me is a big deal so take a course that does and maybe take a couple because not everybody actually knows how these things work i see people misuse them all the time well and i mean this is this is true of most of the first aid stuff right like you really you should know how it works before you have to go and use it just because the instructions are printed on the back of the package reading it on the side of the road when somebody's bleeding to death is probably not the right time well, and like you said, if you're under pressure, you're not going to figure it out at that point in time. You got to practice it and get that muscle memory down and, and know how you're going to do it ahead of time when you're not under pressure, because then you'll perform adequately during the uh, being under pressure, right? Well, oh, tunnel vision is not the world's best reading aid for sure. No. no. So other so than that, the, uh, I was going to say just a quick question for Andrew, uh, other than obviously ordering online and everything else, any quick tips for uh, new people to prepare this for uh, just, you know, stocking up on like, you know, big consumables such as gauze brands to avoid anything like that you want to mention? Yeah, um, all of your normal stuff, your regular drugstore shoppers or Rexall or Rite Aid or Walgreens. I, I know we don't have Walgreens in Canada, but everybody will know the reference because Americanisms, but <laughs> go, go and go and get 
a quality looking product and i mean it doesn't have to be expensive gauze is super cheap go to walmart buy the walmart brand gauze it's going to be the same as the other gauzes on the shelf it doesn't in my mind it doesn't matter like non-sterile gauze is non-sterile gauze it doesn't matter sterile gauze is sterile gauze it doesn't matter um go and get your hello kitty band-aids for your boo-boo kit because <laughs> i'm i'm a fan of having two different kits like the boo-boo kit the the wsib you have to have the million bandages in the workplace because the government says so and that's cool and like send a buddy to go get you a bandage so you don't bleed all over my clean stuff but like that's not going to help you if you know somebody gets amputated in a machine i work in industrial automation so people lose digits sometimes people's clothing gets caught and they get sucked into machines crap like that happens in places i work so it the, the wsib kit the boo-boo kit's not going to help you but yeah go, go get one of those go to staples or costco or wherever and, and have your regular boo-boo kit and then go and get yourself an ifac or an actual trauma kit and the brands i don't particularly think matter uh for the high-end stuff for the trauma stuff where you're where you're spending some money i think it matters more the stuff that's for wsib um is all regulated by the number of employees in the office for x number of employees you have to have an x size kit it's all regulated so you must have so many bandages and so many triangle bandages and so much gauze and so many whatever whatever whatever's just go buy the one that you like because they're all basically the same because they're standardized yeah, there's actually a local company here called Ono Safety Supply. Same thing. They actually sell really cheap uh, first aid supplies, quite in the bulk packs as well. And uh, Costco actually runs a, a, an ouch pouch, basically, for lack of a better term, just for uh, the, I think the item code is like the year and 9-11. So I think this year it's 9-11, 2018. That's the item number. And usually it's like a, a $30 kit with about 90 bucks worth of stuff in it. But it's just, uh, if you just need an ouch pouch, that's a good way to start anyway. And you can get the fancy yeah, stuff and- from, you know, online places. Yeah, aside from that, I mean, there are people are going to have their personal preferences for bandages and stuff. I like Tegaderm and 3M products because that's what I've used. So that's what I'm happy with. But don't feel like you have to go out and buy 3M brand bandages. Go buy Band-Aid brand from Johnson & Johnson. It's an adhesive bandage. It's still going to work just as good, but they get to call theirs a Band-Aid because it's a trademark. Right? Like, but I mean, like, Band-Aid's Band-Aid. Because, like, uh, an adhesive bandage is an adhesive bandage. It doesn't... Same thing, like triangular bandages. Yeah, have some. They're they're useful. They're they're a good thing to use. They're basically non-sterile gauze, but triangular bandages, triangular bandage. So go and go and get a boo boo kit. Go and get one of those WSIB kits. Have the basics, or go to you know go to your Walmart or wherever and Costco and buy the bulk packs. Contractor supplies I find work really well if you're looking for a lot of bulk stuff. So they'll have the worksite kits. And they're usually pretty cheap because they, they're not used to selling to the public. You just you go in and you tell them you work for XYZ Corp and they'll give you the corporate rate. Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah, we, Absolutely. I, I regularly have to do that sort of thing. Um, I travel for work and because of the, the field in which I work, sometimes I'll be like the first person to show up somewhere. And I'll be like, uh, we don't have hard hats for any of my guys. Well, time to go find like the local safety store and set up an account. And they never vet anything. You could tell them whatever. Like, we just pay cash or debit, whatever. And it's usually just in my own name or my company's name. It's not like they, they don't vet. It's, it, it's just they're not used to selling to people off the street. So you have to kind of know what you want when you show up. But I'm pretty sure they're happy with cash no matter what form it comes in. So Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And less questions about credit cards that way. Well, this doesn't have your company name on it. <laughs> Actually, earlier on, Andrew, you mentioned that uh, uh, some of the combat-style first aid courses you took there. Um, are they fairly prevalent in Canada, or is it a pretty rare thing to find? Uh, first aid courses in Canada are problematic. You can go anywhere, and you can do your St. John's or your Red Cross at your various levels, and I would definitely say go and go and get standard or whatever the, the St. John's equivalent standard is, and then maybe go take something else like your um, your Wilderness the basic first aid or whatever is a waste of time. Just go take the extra four hours of training or whatever and get the standard and be done with it. Because they're leveled courses and I think it might vary by province. Um, but just go get the standard with the AED. Go get the full one. It's like a two-day course. You recertify. It's a one-day course. You recertify every two years. Um, everybody and their dog teaches those courses. You go to your local college. You go to the city. You, maybe your fire department, it sort of depends on your municipality and what's around, but if you're in a big metro center, you're going to have dedicated places that that's what they do. It's XYZ first aid course, and all they do is they have instructors that every weekend they teach basic first aid. Um, other places you go, you deal with your, your local college or your local fire department or your, your local municipal government, and they'll put something on and they'll hire an instructor to come and do that do that training and if somebody wants to take it to the nth degree uh, on good preparedness style there uh, any combat first aid courses well the combat first aid stuff is is tricky you can do an online course from c toms um they've got the police officer down pods police officer down survival i think pods pds uh and i don't have their site open they have a they might have some other online courses and from what i understand they do do in-person delivery, but as far as I know, they only have been doing those courses in Alberta. And as far as I know, they are mostly are catered to law enforcement and possibly military. So it can be difficult, um, from what I've found, civilian side to get combat first aid courses, like particularly um, what the military, especially the Americans call TCCC, the Tactical Combat Casualty Care Course effectively does not exist in Canada. You can't take it as a civilian. You can be in the army and take it. You can be a police officer and you can get an instructor that will teach it, who is usually somebody who learned how to teach it in the army. But it's nearly impossible as a civilian to get that. Um, I'm not aware of any other companies aside from CTOMS really that offer it, with the exception of Ragnarok Tactical. I'm not a first aid instructor. We hire a guy out of the States. Um, we've got a, a, a relationship with Spent Brass Training Solutions, LLC. Uh, they're out of California. I want to say it's Oceanside, California. Um, he's come up last year. He's going to come up again this year. Chris uh, Valenzuela is the owner, lead instructor over at Spent Brass. Uh, he was a U.S. Army infantry guy, uh, paramedic firefighter guy in civilian world. Uh, he does first aid courses for civilians. Uh, he's got a bunch of accreditations. I can't list them all. As far as I know, we're really the only place to do it, at least in southern Ontario. There's a couple of places that are doing Stop the Bleeding now. Uh, one local gun store is in Ajax. When I say local, they're a couple hours drive away from me. Um, the gun store in Ajax, the Firearms Outlet Canada, had a first aid day where they did a Stop the Bleed course and had an instructor come in and do that, which is awesome. But Stop the Bleed is about four hours, and it's basically how to tie a tourniquet on somebody properly. It's a great first start. Doesn't cover a lot of stuff except tourniquets. Really good at that one thing, though. <laughs> well, it, it, it's a need, right? Like, that's the... Yeah. 
somebody can yeah. take a Saturday afternoon and learn how to properly apply a tourniquet, I'm a happy guy. But that that deals with exactly one type of trauma. So beyond that, I would say look at what we're doing with Spent Brass. Chris is going to come up again this year. Uh, we're going to look at doing some one-day courses this time around instead of a two-day. It won't be as comprehensive. We probably won't do the scenarios as much, but we're going to try and have an opportunity for more people to come and do it at a lower price point. And it'll be more of the how to deal with actual real trauma, not just calling 911, like what to do for the 10 minutes between when you called and when the uh, the box on the wheels with the flashy lights shows up and the, the professionals take over. So we're going to try and offer that uh, on a more regular basis. I, I don't know of any other places that are doing it, though, because we've been trying to find instructors in Canada, and it is super challenging. No, it looks really interesting when I was reading your description there. I mean, everything from, uh, you know, just you know, recognizing different types of bleeds to constructing your own IFAC to everything else looked uh, like a really interesting course. Uh, yeah, so the, I guess the the first time that we had Val up to teach the course, the uh, the topic breakdown was, and I mean, bear in mind this is a this was a two day course. It was four hundred fifty bucks US. We did it in Mississauga, so that, like the instructor came here and we had Canadian students, and it was a, a fairly small class. I think we were limited to twelve people. Uh, so combat mindset. Psychological response, uh, sorry, physiological uh, response to combat, preventing and treating common and uh, common and non-combat related injuries, litters, drags and carries, basic anatomy, uh, major arteries, identifying and treating different types of bleeding, identifying and immobilizing broken limbs, uh, scab and treating compromised airways. Scab is a, a treatment protocol. Uh, treating gunshot and knife wounds, improvised treatment methods, and constructing your IFAC. And then we did like a day of scenario training after that. So he had like the fake squirting blood and you had a casualty that you came upon under some scenario circumstances and you had to solve whatever the problem was that he gave you. Oh God, all of their limbs are broken. What do you do? <laughs> let's, wow. let's hope you have enough splints. You know, they course. were on fire. What, what do you do after they've been on fire? Uh, lots, lots of gauze. The answer is just apply more gauze. Keep applying gauze. Wow. So going through that stuff um particularly doing the scenarios because again the, the the psychological and physiological response to stress and getting the stress inoculation is a big thing i don't know of any other courses that have happened in canada where we've had people that are so we had we had play actors come out and chris had his blood machine so you were getting sprayed they were getting sprayed everything was slippery and sticky and bloody and it was it was a mess but it was also incredibly realistic because you have a woman on the ground in front of you that got told that she was just like 90% third degree burns act like you've just been on fire and away you go yeah and away <laughs> you go and yeah and deal with this for 15 minutes until the ambulance shows up uh, what the scenarios were they running you the full 15 minutes like the full 15 minutes Oh, we had uh, we had a bunch of scenarios. We had individual and we had team scenarios because this um, a lot of the guys on the courses are people who have taken our courses before. So we teach a lot of firearms instruction. Uh, so uh, most of the people on the course are students of ours that have done something before. So they wanted to get into how to deal with teams. So dealing with like litter carries and how to evacuate casualties. And so we got we set the warehouse on fire and we had to drag people out of the warehouse and we were dealing with an industrial accident where somebody got run over with a forklift. So how to shut the forklift off and how to drag somebody out of that and 
getting people out of vehicles because they were in a motor vehicle collision. So how to like safely extricate a, uh, a driver from a truck because the truck is now on fire. Huh. It's all things right. you could actually realistically and possibly come across too. So that's yeah. That's and that was what Val was trying to really drive was it was a very the scenarios were very high realism, very intense scenarios. So you would come on something and you like you arrive on the scene and this is the thing. And he would give you like the 30 second rundown and okay. And now there's somebody in front of you or multiple somebody's in front of you on the ground, covered in blood, screaming because they were all just on fire and you know, all of their arms are broken or what have you. And here comes the adrenaline dump and away you go. <laughs> right. And that was the huge thing. Like we'd been playing with tourniquets for the day and a half prior to that. So in the middle of a lesson plan, Val would be doing his thing and we're talking about scab and how to deal with airways and turn it left, let go. You have 15 seconds or oh. you're dead. Oh, you're dead. You better start doing push-ups because dead people don't feel pain. So keep doing push-ups. He's <laughs> <laughs> uh, harsh, but fair, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, and I mean, so everybody got really good at applying tourniquets because he'd go good. around and if, if your tourniquet wasn't applied, well, you've extanguinated. Start doing push-ups. Well, that's good. A little bit of pressure too makes you think, right? Gets the muscle memory going. Well, I think like everything when else, you want to test. It's just testing your gear, right? That's another thing. It's one thing to have a, a tourniquet sitting in a nice little plastic package. It's another place to another time or you know, another thing to rip it out, actually apply it, and you know, crank it on, and everything else to actually get the muscle memory going for sure. Well, and that was, I mean, that was kind of the point. So we were as we were going through, he would have our little breaks, and that was that was how we had our little break, or we'd go and we'd be. You know, we'd be learning how to bandage somebody and there's just been an active shooter and you've all been shot. Right arm, tourniquet, go. It's wow. like, okay, well, let's stop what we're doing and apply some tourniquets and see if we can, you know, he'll go around and see if you've got a radial pulse or not. So, like, he'll he'll take somebody's pulse. Oh, I can, I can feel it. You didn't put it on tight enough. You died. <laughs> well, it's good, though. It's kind of training you need to, to make sure that you know how to use things and you can do it under pressure. So um, I don't I don't have dates for that. We're talking to Val about getting them back up. Um, we'd like to do something in the first quarter of the year with them. Um, we're probably looking at two one day courses, a Saturday and Sunday, probably in Mississauga. I don't know what the price will be. It'll likely be in U.S. dollars. It'll probably be between two and three hundred dollars U.S. Well, once you get the dates figured out, let us know and we'll uh, we'll put it out in the podcast. I, I appreciate that. Um, I guess is it worthwhile to look at the other, the other first aid kit stuff? Uh, as far as like dispel some myths, or what would you like? Sure, uh, we could do myths. Well, yeah. <clears throat> well, let's talk about the the typical prepper stuff you hear about on the odd podcast or not podcast, the odd YouTube video. It's like break out a tampon and shove it in the bullet hole and you know stuff like that. So, talk. You want to talk quickly about tampon maxibad use as a field expedient bandage or anything? Yeah, uh, I, it's an audio show, right? They can't see me rubbing my forehead. No, no, no face palms <laughs> visible right now. But don't worry, okay. that, that's an, it's so, an intentionally dumb question. So I'm just throwing it out there. So, listeners in podcast land, imagine I am face palming right now. Tampons are for your period. Are you on your period or did you get shot? If the answer is you got shot, a tampon is not the appropriate item. Not saying you shouldn't have them. They're wonderful to give to your, your lady during her time of the month. They also work remarkably well for nosebleeds. But that's removal is an issue. Yeah. Removal can be an issue. The, yeah. Okay, so the, the reason tampons don't work, because, I mean, it it is fun for me to beat up on people on the internet that think tampons are a good solution. The reason tampons don't work 
there's just not enough gauze and tampons to adequately pack a wound. If you have penetrating trauma, like a gunshot wound, you're probably going to be able to put at least 10 yards of gauze in that bullet hole. So say you got somebody got shot in a, a fleshy spot, like a shoulder or a, a thigh, with a 9mm full metal jacket. You got a, a just a penetrating wound, entry wound only, no exit wound. It's not a through and through. You haven't hit bone. You haven't hit artery. You've just, the big meaty spot got hit. And you got it like with a 9 mil, right? You're going to put probably more than 10 yards worth of gauze into that hole to properly pack the wound. A tampon has less than one half of one yard's worth of gauze in it. Nowhere Tampons close. just not even 10% of what you need. And I tell you this because we've like I've taken the course. I went and I shot a side of beef. Like I went, I bought a pork or a, a, a shoulder, a, a beef shoulder, and I shot it with a nine mil and I shot it with a two, two, three. And the next day, everybody got finger it and pack it full of gauze. <laughs> so we took, you know, everybody got their 10 yard thing of gauze and they learned how to pack an actual wound with actual meat. I mean, we were using, I think it was a pork shoulder. It might have been a beef shoulder, whatever. The point is we had a, a side of meat that you got to stick your gauze and your finger in and pack it full. So it just, the, the, the tampon isn't effective at that. It's too small. Uh, but when I always get this question, running rapid survival, people always call in asking for uh, like fish antibiotics and amoxicillin. Thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, scope of care, scope of practice. I mean, amoxicillin is amoxicillin, but... Are you a doctor? Do you know you need amoxicillin? Do you know how much amoxicillin do you need? Can you dose my 11-month-old kid as well as you can dose, uh, dose me, a 30-year-old, 200-pound, 6-foot-tall dude? Like, just, if you know what you're doing, I mean, have at it. There's lots of other things, like amoxicillin, penicillin. The dosing on it's probably not that hard, but is, do you really know what you're doing? And how bad has the poop hit the oscillating device? Like, <laughs> okay, so you, you got an earache, you maybe have an ear infection, but also you have no power and no water and no food. So, yeah, I guess you could chug a bottle of penicillin and hope for the best. But is that really the <laughs> the biggest issue? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't believe in taking medic like i don't like taking meds to begin with and i don't believe in self-prescribing prescription level medications okay if you want to take your over-the-counter tylenol whatever have at her but if it comes from a pharmacy you probably shouldn't be doing it on your own maybe if you know what you're doing you can yeah full agreeance there that's why i don't carry the stuff nope yeah. not not doing it go, <laughs> go go to the pet store and buy some if yep. if you want and just because I mean, you have to go to the pet store to get it concerns me. Uh, <laughs> well, well I mean, I think yes, it's more of a feel good maneuver than anything else. Right? I think so, yeah. Amoxicillin's amoxicillin, but it's more of how you use it than what it's marketed for, which I mean, Fair enough. it's the same as anything else. Like, you probably shouldn't do fentanyl, but they prescribe it in hospitals all the time. Yeah, in controlled <laughs> environment with people that know what they're doing. Right. And I mean, that's why, that's why if you want to buy some fentanyl in case you might need it because you're experiencing a lot of pain because you just had, you know, 90% third degree burns, that, which is that actually a case where they prescribe fentanyl is if you've had like, 
I forget what the threshold is, 65, 60, 70%, something like that. Like if you've had like the majority of your body is third degree burns, that's a thing where they'll give you fentanyl in the hospital. But I wouldn't recommend stockpiling fentanyl in case you get lit on fire. Good point. <laughs> and sorry, there's something else you wanted to cover, Andrew, as well? Um, the first aid kits, you said? Uh, with the first aid kits, it's probably worthwhile for people to figure out that one one improved first aid kit or one individual first aid kit is probably not going to cut it. First aid kits only work if you have them with you. So you can have like the most baller ambulance ever with all of the bells and whistles, or I guess lights and sirens, but if you're not driving around in your ambulance, it really doesn't help you. So if you take your you know, your, your personal ambulance to the mall. And now that's two kilometers from where you are in the mall. And somebody has a heart attack while you're in Sears that your fully loaded ambulance doesn't help you because you're not carrying it. Right. This is the, this is true of yeah, any no. size of first aid kit. No, that's and we went to that actually on the, uh, on the hunting episode earlier, the post hunting episode, the fact that I had to actually correct my own, uh, loadout because I didn't have a, uh, a tourniquet with me for hunting and yeah you actually you brought up a very good point in the fact that yeah it doesn't do us a whole lot of good in the truck when it's you know a hundred couple hundred yards away or whatever it's like it's got to be on you if, you if you're gonna get a, a gunshot wound or a, a deep gash from even a knife or whatever have you so yeah i mean uh don't don't ask me what the figure is off the top of my head i'd have to look at my notes but if you get uh if you get an arterial bleed the bright red squirting blood that's bad if you get a good one um jugular or Oh, the name of the artery in your leg, which currently escapes me, the big one, femoral. Femoral. Um, if you get one of those two, it's something like you can lose all the blood in your body in like four minutes. That's certainly like that. Unconsciousness, unconsciousness will kick in after two, because once you lose, uh, again, I don't have my notes in front of me to tell you what the volume is, but your body has like something to the effect of like eight liters of blood, and after four liters of blood loss, unconsciousness tends to set in, and after six, it's guaranteed. Right. So at that point, you probably want to be unconscious. So, yeah. So having to do the hundred yard dash to get to the truck in the meantime. OK, so the guy from uh, the guy from Jamaica that got the gold medal, he might be able to get to the truck in time. The rest of us, <laughs> me, I'm not making that. Not so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be looking at the truck and passed out. <laughs> right. So, yeah, um, having the first aid kit on you and accessible is is worthwhile. Uh, depending on what you are and what you're doing, I don't see a reason. I know there's like social stigma around it, but I don't see a reason to not have a first aid kit with you. Women carry purses full of crap with them all the time. There's no reason you can't carry a purse full of useful crap. Right? <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Like, so I, everywhere I go, because of the nature of my job, I have a, I have a backpack with me. I have all my work stuff in it. But on the outside of my backpack, I have a fully stocked IFAC with enough stuff for two or three massive traumas. So I'm not planning on getting shot three times or having like three traumatic amputations the same day at work or anything. But it's nice to know that if it happens, I have the stuff to deal with it. And because well, it's on my work like, bag, it's always with me. Yeah, it's a peace of mind thing. It's also less reliance on somebody else supplying you with a first aid kit and everything else. Well, I, the, yeah, and I, it depends on how bad your trauma is that you're planning on dealing with. I would imagine most people are going to come across car collisions, somebody getting run over, somebody getting hit, that kind of thing. Maybe you're in an environment like I am where it's industrial and somebody occasionally, you know, you call them lefty now because all those other dudes <laughs> just got amputated. 
like we run into that stuff in industrial environments right we in other other businesses maybe it's not so much an office job okay so maybe you were got to worry about the guy that's walking up the third flight of stairs that day and he had too many mcdonald's so you just got to know where the aed is <laughs> but, or a horrible uh, having, stapler, you know, stapler accident you know well and you go get the boo-boo kit and patch them up right but the um having the effect that you'll have with you for your your gun people because i imagine most of your preppers are gun people if they're not they probably should be reevaluate your decisions if you're not <laughs> agreed uh you probably have a range bag right you have your you have your range that goes your bag that goes to the range and you probably stand at a static firing line you probably are that's where your gun and your ammo and all your crap is for the throw throw your first aid kit in or on that um, I I have set up gun clubs locally with first aid kits for their action shooters for that purpose. They have a first aid kit on all their range bags, and their range bags are where they shoot. Uh, if you've got a work bag, absolutely go nuts. If you've got your, you know, your tactical purse, or your wife has her tactical purse, throw a tourniquet and a dressing in there, and you're ahead of ninety five percent of people, right? Most people are going to be driving around. You've got the handy dandy half ton truck or, you know, the Chevrolet Spark or whatever it is you choose to commute in. It doesn't hurt any to throw a, a, a large IFAC in that, a, a full on trauma kit if you want. The car is not going to know. Oh, we, we loaded an extra 15 pounds worth of kit today. That's true. not going to notice. It's used to carrying around four or five adult people. So 15 pounds of kit isn't going to hurt it any. And you shouldn't be worried about your car's feelings anyway, right? No. Well, but I mean, from a practical application, you've probably got room in your... Take out one of the pieces of junk in your car and put in something useful, right? Because, I mean, everybody, for the most part... I mean, there's going to be car guys that are going to, like, hate mail because I don't... I the, the only things in my car are my car and myself, and I, it's perfectly clean and it's spotless, and I, I detail it three times a week, and he's, you know, he's got autism because he whacks on and whacks off. And stuff. But... <laughs> For everybody else, take out one of the useless grocery bags and put in, you know, the useful one full of first aid supplies. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that, I mean, from my perspective, for your average prepared person, you're probably coming across motor vehicle collisions more than anything else. That's probably the accident you're going to have to deal with. Aside from, you know, the, the nicks and scrapes and bumps and bruises of life, you know, you can't fall down and cutting their knee open or your inept co-worker that doesn't know how the swing line stapler works that keeps stapling themselves to the pile of TPS reports. Uh, still an awesome movie. <laughs> it's a great movie, but oh, yeah, it is. like that's the kind of stuff that most people are going to come across. And if you're not prepared for that stuff, I don't care how, how prepared you are for the zombie apocalypse. If you're not prepared for paper cuts, you're not prepared for the zombie apocalypse, right? That's you got to work up to that. Yep absolutely and it's like i think you the best point you brought up so far is that you know doing all this stuff uh, during the the actual time of the emergency is not the time to do it you know best time to do it is like well in advance be well versed read up on it you know practice it everything else don't wait till the last minute it's pretty much like we've said in, in most of our other episodes as well is know your gear know it well and know how to work it ahead of time and practice I think that's true of any gear and it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's radios it doesn't matter if it's your generator and it doesn't matter if it's your your bug out bag full of first aid stuff exactly. you, you got to know how it all works you've got to have it already ready to go um a, a lot of that with the first aid stuff is prepping it because the stuff that comes from the manufacturer is bs most of the time i don't know if i can cuss on this podcast go oh for go for it. your boots excellent <laughs> um yeah, yeah so most of the stuff is just 
total BS. So you get a you get a cat tourniquet. You buy a cat tourniquet from me. It comes in a nice little individually shrink wrapped wrapper from the manufacturer. You're not taking off the shrink wrapped wrapper when you're covered in blood and somebody's in front of you dying. No. It's not going to happen. No, actually, so I, take, I saw it on your Earth website there. Take a pistol taco or something like that and use that instead. Yeah, I, uh, I I jam mine in. So I, I have various first aid kits, but in my car first aid kit, I have pistol tacos on the outside of the molly bag. And the pistol tacos hold the staged tourniquets. And all of my tourniquets are staged in a certain way. It depends on your tourniquets and depends on what you think is going to happen and what you're going to use them for. But all of mine are staged for self-aid because that's I'm helping me. And maybe that's selfish, but if I die, I can't help anybody else. Exactly. Yep. Well, just like everything else, help yourself first before anybody else. And then, yeah, you're, you're certainly more useful for everybody else. Right, what's that thing that the oxygen mask comes down in the plane and they say help <clears throat> put on your help. mask before they help the neighbor? Before you help the kids or anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, same kind of thing. So all my stuff is set up for self-aid first because if I can use it on me, I can definitely use it on other people. Uh, a lot of the other packaging, they'll have little tear spots, but they're little and they're terrible. So go to Canadian Tire or Home Depot or what have you and get the Gorilla Tape. Uh, praise beyond Harambe, may he rest in peace. But go get the Gorilla <laughs> Tape. <laughs> and you're going to make little tabs to go over the pre-cut tabs. And if there's not pre-cut tabs, you're going to pre-cut it, but you're not going to break the seal on something that's sterile. Because you want the big tabs, you have the leverage to rip it open, and you want to be able to have the thing that you can feel in the dark. And the Gorilla Tape has a texture that feels different than the plastic packaging. So you know in the dark you can grab the thing and you can rip it open. You want to have that staged up in advance because you don't want to be fiddle-farting around on the side of the road at 2 in the morning in the dark at minus 20 trying to find that stupid tab to open the bandage. Well, I'm also fairly sure that fine motor skills disappeared in a, in a stressful situation as a general rule too. Yeah, I was just going to say. Uh, I, I have heard that, and I, I, I would disagree because pushing a, pulling a trigger with your trigger finger is, in my opinion, a fine motor skill. So is pushing the magazine release on a Glock. And I can do those under stress. So <laughs> That's know. practice, though, right? Yep. So is putting on a tourniquet. That's true. Valid point. So if it's got tabs, stage it so you can open the tabs in the dark. Um, Gorilla Tape is probably the way to go. Duct Tape will work. Uh, I like Gorilla Tape better because the is better. Um, also Harambe. But stage your stuff so that it's all set up and ready to go so you can rip it open in an emergency so you're not fiddling around with those little tabs. Some things rip open better than others. You should probably figure that out in advance because maybe not everything needs that, but one tip if you do need it. Um, same thing like dummy cording your stuff together. If you have things that are likely to roll away, tape rolls, for example, maybe just dummy cord the tape roll to your bag. Like take a piece of paracord or shoelace or what have you, a piece of twine, run it through the tape, tie the other end of the tape to the bag. That way that's only going so far and you're not going to lose it. Because when it rolls down the street in the middle of the emergency and you go chasing after it and your patient expires, you're going to feel silly. That's a good tip as well. Right. You don't want like so a lot of these things sound kind of ridiculous and sound kind of silly. But like, you know, you've seen like the roll of scotch tape when you were doing work in the house and the floor is not level and it started to roll down the other end while you were. Well, now that, instead of taping the wall while you're painting, your wife is bleeding. You know, you're you're going to feel silly a lot more so when. Right. 
Oh, well, and stuff like that's born of experience too, right? I mean, uh, you know, obviously somebody had that happen to them, so it's it's a good solution. So, yeah, dummy cording your stuff onto your other stuff so it doesn't roll away is good. Um, other IFAC stuff, I know it all really depends on the size of your IFAC, but for your for your vehicle bag, if you can have a dedicated vehicle bag, if you can have a dedicated bag in each vehicle, is so much the better. But important stuff is more easily accessible so things that stop exsanguination tourniquets those are key put them in places you can get them so having it at the bottom of the pouch not really helpful if you have to take everything else out because while they're bleeding to death they're not going to appreciate you you carefully inventorying all the rest of your stuff in case you need that airway later where is that pesky tourniquet right so putting the important stuff in the easy to reach places and the less important stuff in the hard to reach places uh if you can put the stuff organized in a way that makes sense, figure out what protocol you're going to use. If it's scab, if it's march, if it's something else. Um, I don't like the way Red Cross teaches it because I think theirs is backwards. They're um, ABCs. Yep. Um, C is more important than A. I, I don't care if they can't breathe, if all the blood is getting out of them. There doesn't matter how much air I put into them. It doesn't help. It's just going out again. So I, I don't like the ABC thing. So take March or take scab or whatever your program of choice is and deal with your first aid kit set up in a way that supports your protocol. Um, I like March, but I learned scab. Scab, I think, is effective. I'm just not as comfortable with it. But to stage all of your stuff so you can use it is sort of the point that I'm getting at. Actually, I didn't know where else to put this in the podcast, so I thought I'd just list off a couple of books that, you know, for a preparedness library, I mean, again, it's it's stuff that does you absolutely no good in the moment, but uh, reading ahead of time. Um, first one I had here, where, where there is no doctor, uh, doesn't do you a whole lot of good during normal times, maybe during bad times. Interesting enough, I just flipped open a page, and the first thing it said was sensible use of medicines, and it basically says, don't bother having most of them on hand, which was actually kind of funny. Um, yeah. The other one was uh, Where There Is No Dentist. It's kind of a sequel to it written by somebody else. Both of those are out of print, but you can uh, either find them online or worst case scenario, I have a PDF copy. I think they're no longer in print. They're no longer being made. So I'm pretty sure I can safely uh, share one with you if you need to. Somebody wants to drop me an email. Um, I was going to say there's some medicinal herbs, uh, just a local book you can pick up of stuff you might be able to use for your own first aid uh, supplies if things got really bad. Uh, last two things were the Urban Survival Manual and the SAS Survival Manual. Those are definitely still in print. Um, but they've got good sections on various types of first aid and uh, prevention as well. And then, of course, when you get a decent first aid course under your belt, you usually get a, a, a decent manual out of it. This was the industrial first aid I took. And uh, certainly keep it in your library as well. Just it's uh, never hurts to have the reference material. And plus, never hurts to look through it ahead of time. Yeah, uh, I support that. Uh, I, I'm going to have to look at some of those books. If you're on the topic of books, there's a couple other um, worthwhile things to look at, in my opinion. Uh, FM2111 and FM425.11. So those are the um, the U.S. Army First Aid Handbook and the U.S. Army Special Forces First Aid Handbooks, uh, field yeah, manuals. Public domain as well, aren't they? Yeah, they're public. They're you get a Kindle edition for like a buck, or you can get hard copies at varying prices, but they're basically public domains. So you go online and you look for FM 21-11 or FM 4-25.11. Um, both of those are excellent books. Uh, 
there's a, there are other books in that same vein that are not field manuals, but actual books written like books. Field manuals are not easy to read. They are very dry, but they are full of useful knowledge. Yeah, usually you can find those those uh, FM manuals online as well. And uh, there's actually a couple of websites I think we can pull up here as well uh, while we're talking. But uh, yeah, they can be downloaded for free as well. Yeah, they're just they're not an easy read. There are books that are based on them that are probably easier to read. There's uh, uh, it's the Special Operations Forces Medical Handbook, I think is the name of it. It's so it's a it's a DOD released book that is effectively um, Fortac twenty five dot eleven. But it's actually a book that's like readable by human beings. <laughs> Field manuals are hard to read. That's what it is. Yeah. Uh, but they're they're free and they're easy to find on the internet. You punch it in, you get a PDF. You put it on your iPad and you read it while you're on your flight or what have you. Uh, and yeah, free free knowledge, right? And it's proven knowledge. It works. Um, I don't think I have any other books that are really super worthwhile. Go and. Go and read those ones. I'd like to read these no doctor, no dentist ones. Those sound like to be useful information. Well, they are actually interesting because they're basically designed for third world countries. Uh, the first one was written by Oxfam or like, I guess, published by Oxfam. So obviously a bit of an international agency, you know, you know put aside your, your opinions towards uh, the UN or whatever have you aside. <laughs> but I mean, they are, uh, they're basically designed for third world countries that don't have access to a doctor within six blocks or whatever. And, and basically they're kind of left to their own devices for the most part. So it, it tells them on how to, um, you know, maintain, prevent, and cure as, as required. So actually on uh, Canadian Gun Nuts, there's actually a, um, a link on there under the preparedness section, and it's uh, it's called the Third World Project, and it's got all those FM manuals and a bunch of other stuff on there as well. Perfect. Yeah, that's I would recommend that. And I would, uh, I would recommend that people have those and read them in advance, but I would also recommend that when you get it online, go and go and make yourself a hard copy. Go get that good paper from Staples, the acid-free stuff, and print it out and bind it and save it. Unless Absolutely. you're me and you have the battery backup for all the computers in the house, probably going to have a hard time reading the PDF. Well, if you're, freaking out about, if you're freaking out about the EMP, you got to worry about, you got to make sure you have hard copies of everything. So a, a laser jet printer and a PDF file go a long way. Oh yeah. I mean, I I like I like PDFs. I like being able to read on my tablet, but my tablet's not going to last if I in an emergency, right? Which probably not the right time to read it, but it would be super handy to refer to the the section on how to do a suture before I have to do it cuz I always have a hard time with the knot cuz I don't practice doing that knot very often and it's tricky. <laughs> Absolutely. So I guess also, that, I don't uh... recommend people do that. Don't don't do sutures if you don't know what you're doing. Scope of practice. Yeah. Well, always back to scope of practice. Or, or the veterinary stapler. You know, you can always come back to that. <laughs> you always just get the swing line from the desk, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> My red swing line. So I guess, is there anything else we should have to the podcast challenge, Eric? Uh, unless Andrew's got anything else to uh, throw out there, I think we'll go into the podcast challenge. All righty. Well, I did take a little bit of a... a uh, copy of Andrew's, uh, I guess, what he's did in preparedness. So um, maybe just it's time for everybody to, to start thinking about an inventory of food and their expiry dates. Um, if you're going to get you know headlong into preparedness, you're going to need the space for the uh, the food storage. So uh, maybe just take a run through of everything you have, do a quick inventory uh, so that you know exactly what you have. Uh, it's You can sell it to the wife as a chance to clean the house and organize. Uh, always rotate your food to make sure you get the oldest uh, to the front of the pack so you can use up that, that. And uh, if you're not going to eat it, 
just give the stuff that hasn't quite expired yet, give it to a food bank. And uh, keep in mind that most food is good past expiry date, but, uh, you know, it's probably not a bad idea if everybody start doing the inventory of food. If anybody has any uh, questions on how to do that, for sure, drop us a line. Absolutely. And they can drop a line off to uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Let us know if you've uh, participated in the podcast challenge, what you've done, and uh, we'll get it out in the next episode. So is this the part where I say that I won the podcast challenge? Yeah, Yeah, well, you technically did, but uh, that's only because I directly copied you right off of that. Um, I I am excited to hear if your listeners find an inventory solution because I I looked high and low and I have given up and gone with the good old Excel file. Mm. Yeah, we just run a uh, Microsoft doc and then update it as required. It's it's old school, but it works. And it's just, uh, you know, basically I'll be shouting from the storage room for them and the the wife will update the uh, the file as required. That's pretty much all we can do. It's probably the best way to do it. That's the boat we're in. Yeah. Guess time for some shout outs. I think so. All right. Well, I just want to mention the traveling prepper again. He's been messaging me back and forth and he always keeps me on my toes with some good challenges and questions and that uh, keeps me honest. So I thought I'd give him a quick shout out and also a quick shout out to uh, Eric. Uh, just for the fact he had me over and uh, got to meet face to face for the first time. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird thing that uh, we hadn't met up until this point, but uh, yeah, it was great uh, to meet face to face. So yeah, it's good time. Your hospitality. Yeah, no problem. You got to come back. Or I'll come and visit you next time. <laughs> I've got a shout out to uh, Dean from the uh, Canadian Prepper Network. So if you haven't been over there yet, uh, Google Canadian Prepper Network, check them out. Uh, Great resource, great blog, and uh, some really good forums as well in the uh, International Prepper uh, Network. Uh, We've been dealing with him uh, over email for a little bit. I'm going to try and get him on the show, and we're going to do a a full episode on ham radios and uh, communications. So uh, hopefully that'll be coming up soon, as soon as we can find a date and uh, time that works for all of us. And we'll get into some uh, listener email review and uh, answering questions sent in. Uh, first off, like we mentioned earlier, if you want to send in a question, you can email a feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, let us know what your question is, um, general geographic location. Um, if you want to stay anonymous, make sure you mention that. Uh, and I won't use your name or your general geographic location. Or if you want to put out there, you can uh, let me know as well. Uh, we got an email here from Alan. And it says... Uh, Good afternoon, uh, Eric and Ian. I just want to say thanks for putting this out. Uh, I'm also from a Southern Ontario uh, native west of London. Uh, I haven't had my ham license for a few years, but I'm interested in getting it back. Uh, So I've been uh, preparing various stages and phases for nearly 25 years now. Started in scouts when I got lost in the woods on a hike and had to spend the night. Uh, In my spare time, I hunt, fish, teach first aid and build towards self-reliance. I truly appreciate the Canadian perspective of prepping. I listen to a few American podcasts as well. Uh, The differences are staggering. Uh, One of the first times I ever put my plans into place was during the 2003 blackout. Uh, I was a second tier responder affiliated with local fire and EMS teams and volunteer. I spent almost 48 hours helping prevent life-threatening emergencies. Uh, EDC, first aid, and SIP, which we believe means shelter in place, perhaps are my uh, primary areas of focus. Uh, Keep up the great work. I appreciate the effort you guys put in. I'm looking at rapidsurvival.com right now. I'm planning my first purchase. Awesome. Uh, Thanks, guys. Alan. And do we get any iTunes reviews this week at all? So we've got one new iTunes uh, review here. It's from uh, Sasquatch Research Scientist. like the name. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, it says, I've been following this podcast since its inception. It's great. Uh, Prepping from a Canadian perspective, topical, educational, and current 
Uh, Eric and Ian discuss recent news events in each episode. This is an excellent feature. Uh, you'll never regret subscribing. I, I totally agree with this review. <laughs> I, I endorse this review. <laughs> and we got five stars. So uh, that's great. Uh, we're up to uh, seven ratings total. Six of them are five star. One of them, we got a little curveball there. We got a four star. I'll, I'll still take four stars. So well, that's what we're at for that. And I guess that's about it. Yeah. So with that, um, I'll bring episode eight of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, Ian, where can uh, people find you? All right. Well, you can find the show online uh, on pod. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes and Podbean, Spotify now as well. Uh, please help us out and take a few minutes to submit a review. It helps other people find us as well. Uh, you can find us at prepperpodcast.ca. Our uh, YouTube live shows are now available. Please subscribe to the uh, my channel called The Island Retreat and click the notifications tab. It'll give you alerts when we're going to go live for the next show as well. And so uh, how can people reach you, Eric, again? So you can find me at uh, rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can buy some preparedness gear there. You can also send me an email at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. And how about you, Andrew? How can people find you and get a hold of you for uh, some first aid equipment if they need it? Uh, the best place is going to be ragnaroktactical.ca. We also own .com, but I'd like to send them to the .ca. Uh, Canadian. Ragnaroktactical.ca, uh, Facebook, Instagram, at Ragnarok Tactical Canada. Get in touch with us. Let us know what you need. I will get you hooked up. You have questions or concerns, and we do way more than just first aid. We're a full line, tactical accessories, barrels, boots, tacos, tourniquets, the whole everything except the actual guns, because there's oh. more regulatory more regulatory tape involved in that. But oh, and by the way, every- uh, thanks. Hey, somebody got his barrel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so let us know what you need help with. Uh, We just finished a huge Yule sale. We only do one sale uh, once a year. It's 12 days around the holiday time in December. The rest of the year, the prices are pretty much as as you can get. We don't have a lot of margin on first aid supply, so I really only put them on sale once a year. And it's usually like bundle stuff because I'm expecting people to buy like a whole package in the hopes that I don't lose money on the shipping. Fair enough. So, uh, thanks for joining us and tune in for the next episode where we're going to be talking about water needs, storage, and disinfection. Again, Andrew, I just wanted to thank you real quick for coming out and uh, being a part of the show. Greatly appreciated. And uh, I know your knowledge and uh, your, your information here is going to go a long way to help a lot of people out. So, it's uh, much appreciated and I uh, look forward to having you on future shows if you're, uh, you're willing to come back. Certainly. It's been my pleasure. And uh, until next time, uh, be prepared, stay safe, 